Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros, and to all my listeners in the USA, I hope you had an awesome Memorial Day weekend. Welcome back. Welcome back to Channel Journeys, and thank you for listening. And thank you to my sponsor, Magentrix. Magentrix, they are experts in creating web and partner portals. They have full integration to your CRM system. That could be Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics, even HubSpot. And what I really love about Magentrix is how they allow you to build a feature-rich PRM in record time. And PRM that has all the key elements you need to support your partner program, things like deal registration, content delivery, tracking of referral commissions and reseller discounts, trainings and certifications, even gamification, and a lot more. You can check them out at Magentrix.com or on the Salesforce App Exchange, where they have a five-star review rating. I highly recommend that you check them out. And I have a special offer for you to share with you at the end of today's show, So what is today's show? Well, today I have a guest who just happens to be Paul Bird. He is the Salesforce enthusiast and portal wizard at Magentrix. Paul is actually back for a second round on Channel Journeys. I first spoke with Paul back on episode 59. We talked about the top three channel mistakes, and that's been a very popular podcast. Today, we're talking about finding the right partners to grow your business. That's a challenge that most of us face in running a channel business. As you're building your ecosystem, growing and maintaining your ecosystem, we're always searching to find the right partners. All right. Are you ready for another great episode with Paul Bird? Let's go. Hey, Paul, welcome back to Channel Journeys Podcast. Great to have you back on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, having me back. It was a pleasure last time and looking forward to today. Excellent. Me too. Yeah, it's been a really busy day, so I'm looking forward to just a fun channel conversation. Absolutely. It's a little rainy here, so good to be inside, but looking forward to the conversation today. Excellent. Well, it's beautiful weather here in Atlanta, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back outside. We're, we've been at uh, stay-at-home orders and under lockdown for the last six months, so hopefully looking forward to being able to get outside when the golf course is open, uh, hopefully here in the next month or two. Oh, that's right, because you're up in Toronto. I am. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I hope you guys get out, (laughs) left out of the cages soon. Hopefully, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, your first uh, interview here on Channel Journey is a very popular podcast. A lot of people have listened to it. If you're listening and you haven't listened to Paul in the first round, go back and listen to it. A lot of great tips there. And I was just going back through your LinkedIn profile, and you've got a pretty diverse background. I'm curious, what lens... do you look through when you see partnerships or how you view partnerships? Is it through a sales lens or, or is there a particular lens that you see partnerships through? Again, you're right. My, my background is pretty diverse. You know, I, I am a career uh, sales guy, so I've been doing that for 24 plus years now. But with two software companies, I actually managed to go up the uh, chain and, and end up in executive positions running those software companies. So I guess I look at it two ways. I look at it tactically on the front line, carrying the bag mm-hmm. when we can and recruiting and being able to do all of that. But also then from an executive perspective, you know, looking at that, uh, the impact that that channel has on the potential growth of the business. So I'm always looking at it through both lenses. 
Mm-hmm. One of the challenges that we're having, and I think a lot of channel managers face this, is finding the right partners, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, Absolutely. it's it's like hiring, right? When you recruit the wrong person, it's really expensive. You can waste a lot of money. And I've seen numbers. It's astronomical how much money is spent when you make the wrong choice. And the same is true with partnerships. And it's it's really tough. And you know, we're looking at who's going to be a good delivery partner, who's going to be a good sales partner. And I was wondering if we could chat today just on that topic of your experience and, and what you've learned and, and how do you pick the right partners? No, I, you know, it, it's so true. Like if channel partners are, are absolutely great, right? They give you the ability to grow your business, bring you into to new accounts. And, you know, if you get it right, you get the right people, then you see the sales increase. You get new and exciting opportunities you get it wrong or you miss the mark, now all of a sudden it not only does it cost you a lot of time and a lot of money, but it can also impact the um, you know the market's opinion of your brand mm-hmm. because you have the wrong mix in place. So there was actually a study done, I believe late last year from Accenture, where they said uh, they looked at uh, channel partnerships and established that only 7% only 7% of channel partners managed to hit at least 65% of their target sales revenue, 7%. Wow. So this is actually really quite common where you have recruitment efforts where we're just connecting with the wrong people. And if you're hiring your direct reps and there are only 7% of them are hitting their targets, you're in a world of hurt. And they're not working for you anymore. I can no. tell you that if, <laughs> if your sales team for direct or are not hitting or exceeding their targets, you're looking for new, you know, new people on your, on your team. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. I hadn't thought about their traditional channel recruiting method was spray and pray, right? Let's, let's, let's recruit a couple thousand partners and see which ones stick. And I was just thinking, what if that was your approach as a direct sales leader? I'm going to go, I'm going to go hire a hundred people and see which ones can sell. Well, I mean, if they were all working on straight commission, fine. Then there's no, uh, you know, cost outlay to the to the business. But still, you have to think you've got the wrong people out there, you know, pushing or or sharing your message as a brand, and people listen. You know, how many attempts do you get going into the same account when they've decided not to do business with you? It's pretty well one and done. Uh, you don't get a second chance to to make a, a good first impression, as they've always said. Yeah. So if a bad rep is out there really disparaging your brand and whatever, it's going to be a while before you can get back into that account and have another run at it. Or if you can ever get back in. If you can ever get back in. Sometimes when the door's closed, it's closed for good. Yeah. And I think with partners, not only are they closing that door, but they're closing your door as a channel leader with your sales team. Absolutely. They've got a bad impression of you as a channel leader. As soon as that, as soon as your name uh, from a a company perspective is tied to a bad experience, now you are fighting an uphill battle in order to to earn that account. And if you have uh, direct sales reps that are working off of a a set of named accounts, they've got a hundred accounts that they're going to go after, and you know your name has been dragged through the the mud previously, it's going to be really difficult, not only for a direct rep but for a channel partner to make any headway in those organizations. Yeah. And we've all had those partners who, who slip up, right? They're good partners who slip up. That happens and you can deal with it. But the, partner who, slip, the partner who never gets it, it just continuously slips up and is, is dragging you through the mud. Those, those ones you got to get rid of quickly. But is there a way to avoid recruiting those types of partners in the first place? You know, what, oh, what, absolutely. Have, you, what have you learned? Some, maybe some tips or 
tricks that you've used over the years. And maybe you, you know, at Magentrix, maybe you're even advising some of your customers as they come to, to you for your PRM solution on what they can do. For sure. So, you know, number one, where everyone needs to start off, a good, solid, well-defined channel strategy. And it's first and foremost, you know, the old adage, you know, you, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah. So having that channel strategy in place is really critical. And as you're building that strategy, we also have to look at, you know, I think every company has or should have kind of their uh, ICP, their ideal customer profile. But as part of your channel strategy, you also need to define the ideal partner profile. Who's the best type of channel partner that you want to have within your network? And there are some things that you need to ask yourself, like, what are you trying to accomplish with this program? And what's going to drive the growth of your business? What makes you different? What's your you know, unique uh, value proposition? And what's important to you in that partnership? So this really all helps define that channel strategy. And you got to make it specific, right? You have to know who's doing what. Is there a clear definition of your target market? Are you planning to work with referral partners or affiliates? Are you going to co-sell? Are you going to just let the uh, the partner take the lead on the sales opportunity? So defining that channel strategy is really critical, really key as the starting point to recruiting the proper individuals that are going to be members of that program. So that's about what are we really trying to get from the channel? What are we looking for? What are we going to do? What is the partner going to do? What are the strengths or characteristics of a partner that's going to be be able to deliver? Exactly. And the resources that you're going to provide to them. It's completely pointless to start recruiting channel partners if you're not, you don't have the resources available to train them, provide them sales and marketing collateral, support them through their, their efforts. So, you know, that channel strategy, having it in place is absolutely critical and making sure that it evolves as the business grows is also tremendously important. What are some of the key points, do you think, as you're defining the, the ideal partner profile? What are, what are elements of that that are, are really critical? Well, I think that you should look and consider, you know, first of all, are they capable? Are they ready? Are they willing? Are they able? Do they have kind of the same mindset as you do? And then we start getting to the specifics, right? Do they have a partnership style mentality? Or are they kind of the partner that's going to be take, take, take and no give? Technically, are they a fit for your organization? And then we start looking, does their team have the right skills, the right experience? Um, you know, are you both in alignment from a, from a values perspective? And then one thing I, I think more uh, companies should look at is, are they stable? Like, are they financially stable? Are they stable from a, from a headcount perspective? Because the last thing you want to do is invest all of this time and money into channel partners only to find out that they're really on economic rocky footing. Mm -hmm. Is there a partner that's too small? I think it all depends on, on your channel strategy and your goals. I think that you can have a really effective, you know, one or two person operation uh, if they are extremely well versed in your brand. They know your, uh, you know, your unique selling proposition and they know exactly what your market is and are completely self-sufficient. Then those are, are great partners to have. I wouldn't say that they're too small at all. At the same time, maybe a partner's too big. You know, you become lost in their offering if they just seem like they're spread too wide. So 
I think that it really comes down back to that channel strategy. Once you've really identified what it is you want to accomplish, the traits of the partners that you want to have in your program, you know, define and set those criteria. Uh, so that's those are kind of the first two tips of really how to get started with a great channel program. And I'm guilty of this as well. Early on in my channel career, I would take literally anyone that knocked on my door and sign them up as a channel partner. You know, typically a lot of organizations have this kind of 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenue is coming from 20% of your partners. Mine was more like 95-5. So I had five really well-producing partners, and then I had 95% that weren't really producing uh, too much at all. And I, I think, again, that comes back to making sure that we have, you know, that ideal partner profile, understanding all of those uh, those capabilities. And then kind of the third tip is scorecard them. Like, look at your capabilities. Understand which ones are important. The top of your list, which ones are must have 100%, you know, they need to have this capability. Maybe second is nice to have, but then also track, here are the non-starters. So if I see a partner with trait that I've defined as, um, you know, not going to, to help my business, maybe that's representing a competitive solution or something like that. And you don't want to put them in the middle of who, who they should choose, then make sure that you're willing to knock them off the list and be selective. And I think that is really the, the secret to making sure that you've got a vibrant, healthy channel, but realize that it's got to evolve. You know, what is good for you on, you know, you're a brand new startup, you've decided your your route to the market is through channel, you've got your, you know, your strategy, you've got your ideal partner profile, you know, all the traits, you go and find those people, you start growing, you know, getting that, uh, that triple digit growth that, uh, that we all you know, strive for. Maybe you get to that unicorn status where, you know, you're a billion dollar valuation. I assure you that between the first day you open the door and the the day you get that that unicorn status, that your channel strategy is going to evolve and the types of partners you're going to want to have in your program are going to need to evolve as well. And that may be saying goodbye to some uh, some partners and opening doors to others. Yeah, that's that's certainly true for out systems. We've now reached what would you call a DECA unicorn? Like we've got a nice. projected value of nine and a half billion. And our partner needs have evolved. And we started out with a very small boutique, 100% out systems partners. Many of them were ex-out systems employees, right? Fantastic partners, love the product. You had 100% mind share. But now as we're growing and we're engaging bigger and bigger partners, the GSIs, the big boys, they carry the competing product lines. You don't have their mind share. It's a whole nother beast. And, and we've had to hire a whole different team to try to recruit and, and get those types of, of big partnerships going. For sure. And if you think about the investment that you have in just recruiting them equal, as I had mentioned before, you've got to have the resources and the mindset. And this goes back to the channel tr strategy to support them, make sure that they can get their training, make sure that they have that, you know, that rich, relevant content available to them and make sure that you're providing the support they need in order to be successful. Yeah, I think when you're talking about those mega partners, even like a CDW, those big nationals, you, you don't need one person, you need a team 
managing those guys to to be successful. For sure. and CDW was uh, one of my channel par- partners in the back, and I did the floor floor walks with the team. I was you know in Chicago and uh, Pennsylvania on basically a, a, a quarterly basis, so I could go and you know, talk to them, have the those direct conversations, have the fun, have the pub nights, which was always good. But it is it's a it's a beast. Like I said before, you know, not only do you have to provide support for that, but you also need to start considering demand generation for those partners to get them rolling. And like I said before, feed the beast. And those big partners, the GSIs, the CDWs of the world, they really do require a lot of resources and a lot of attention in order for them to be successful. When you're working, you know, let's go down below the big GSIs, those big mega partners and and above the the boutique shops in that kind of sweet spot zone that we we all try to get working. What other things have you seen that help you pick the right ones? You mentioned culture. To me, that's super important. And a lot of times we, in our excitement of getting them signed on, we might ignore that. Then And later, later it comes back to bite us. Absolutely. And one of the things that I find is that this comes down to, to not just rushing into a new partnership and being really strategic. So have asking that question, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? How can I help you grow your business? And what are you prepared to give our organization or your organization? What resources are you going to dedicate to us so that we have an opportunity to be successful? I was actually talking with somebody about this topic uh, very recently and asked about those types of, of relationships, not the big boys and not the, the, the small players in the market, but kind of the, that mid-market of channel partners. And he had said, look, it's a lot like a marriage. You know, there's going to be give, there's take, we're going to agree sometimes, we're going to disagree sometimes, um, but that's the commitment and dedication that uh, that they need to have with those partners so they can, again, get the, mall, the, the mind share, get the wallet share, and make sure that, that it's a mutually beneficial relationship on both sides. You know, when we're recruiting an employee, cultural fit is really important for us. And we, we put our candidates, and I went through it, an exhaustive list of interviews. And it, I mean, 10, 12 interviews. But it's not just testing the, the strengths or skills or experience. It's also looking for that cultural fit. And they get exposure to us and different personalities and, and vice versa, us to them. And I, I think when we're recruiting partners, we need the same approach. Don't, don't put it just on your shoulders as a channel manager, but have multiple people in your organization interview that partner and different people in that partnership. And it's something that, you know, I really wish more organizations would do is have more than just, you know, the, the channel manager or whoever's doing the, the recruiting. If they're trying to, to get, you know, cast that wide net and they've got people picking up phones and just trying to recruit anyone they can. But I still think that, you know, first, before we sign the agreement, before we start committing resources, put this more on not just the channel manager. Maybe there's got to be a, a discussion from a uh, from a technical perspective. Let's make sure they've got the right skills. You know, let's make sure that the way that they communicate with our technical resources or other resources, maybe potentially in marketing, that the way the dialogue is going is very similar to the dialogue that uh, that you're providing with your you know your partner management team. So cultural fit that's pretty important as well, but it's got to be baked into the channel strategy because you know that plan that's the playbook that you're going to have for 
for taking your your product, your service, whatever your offering is to market, and you have to keep going back to it like a mission statement. Make sure it evolves as your company does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably sound like a broken record because I always say it all. It always starts with strategy. That's 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 so core. And unfortunately, there I do see a lot of companies where you know they they have no channel strategy. Their strategy is let's recruit, get them to sell our product, but that's as far as it goes. A lot of people don't realize the importance of having that plan, that playbook on how you're going to, you know, how you're going to tackle the market. What type of channel partners are you have? What are your expectations of those channel partners? And when is it time to, you know, say goodbye? And when is it time to start recruiting somebody with more resources? Because again, that is that is your avenue. If you don't have the direct team and you've gone straight channel, that is your avenue to revenue in the market. Yeah. Here's something I'm curious if you've ever tried this. Um, up till recently, we, when we were recruiting partners, we would have a partner questionnaire and we had kind of the key elements of what we wanted to know about them. We do interviews, multiple interviews, try to understand the cultural fit. But one thing we weren't doing that I hadn't even thought about applying was a term sheet like you would use like in a, in a tech alliance partnership. And I went through the partneronomics training that Mark Bregman runs with his company. And he, he reminded me of the importance of a term sheet. So I, we, we put one together and now we're starting it to use it. So before we even sign up the partner, we're getting alignment on what do we want to accomplish together? Like the first, you know, 90 days. Cause what we found without that was we get all excited, we get the partnership signed and then crickets. Yeah. Goes they nowhere. They, and they, sometimes they wouldn't even respond to your phone call. It's like, <laughs> you wouldn't stop talking to us until we, you know, we, we had to get the deal signed quick, quick, quick. And now you won't even respond to our calls. So what's going on? So, and that's, that's a really extreme example, but you know, sometimes just nothing happens. And I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's super important. Um, you know, outside of my time um, managing channel and building channel, but my time working in the channel. So I have worked for, you know, Microsoft Gold Partners and different uh, hardware software resellers mm-hmm. in the greater Toronto area. And absolutely, I am guilty of uncovering an opportunity with a potential uh, client, going signing up so I can be a partner, get the one sale, and then I never go back again. Yeah. So what was that the best use of that those companies' time and resources to, you know, go through all the process, train, offer training, everything. And basically all I'm going to do is turn a sheet of paper and then leave from there. So this is how that channel gets completely diluted. So I think that, you know, going through those steps, like you're doing it out systems, which is really before I'm going to allow you to sell my product and make any kind of margin on it, you're going to go through a series of interviews to make sure that you're an ideal fit. But I think that idea of making sure that you've got an agreed uh, set of goals and whether you're doing it every 90 days, every 180 days, I mean, that's kind of the idea of a QBR. So you almost have a business plan before they are actually a, a member of your program. So, and then you're going through and doing those reviews. So uh, apl- that applying and that uh, advice that Mark's providing in his training, I think is super important. Yeah. And one of the steps in the term sheet is the date that we're going to work on the business plan. Because that is, <laughs> that is part of the first 90 days is we got to work on the business plan and then set the sequence for a success cadence and how, you know, even set dates for the next couple quarters for the QBRs. And that's just, great that you're investing that much into your channel. And that's why you're going to get those level of returns and why you're 
got a nine, $9.8 billion, um, <laughs> you know, valuation. And, and I think for people that are either just starting out their channel program, or they're at a point where they find that their, their channel is kind of plateaued and is no longer growing to take some of these tips and implement them into that program, not only to be more selective in the types of people that they have, maybe it's time to clean the closet out and, you know, gets rid of some of the the underperforming ones. Um, and if you're in that kind of 80-20 rule where you've mm-hmm. got 80% of your revenue coming from 20% of your partners, maybe it's t- the idea is to move the middle, right? Let's get rid of the bottom 20%. Let's see how many of those partners that are in that, that kind of 21 to 79%, how do we get more of their mind share? Yeah. How do we... Do we go back and now say, look, I know that you've been a partner for so long. Um, look, here's a, a term sheet that we'd like to to work on with you. Like, let's establish how we're going to work together. And if you get that commitment from them, you move the middle. And if you don't get the commitment from them, then maybe it's time to say goodbye. Yeah, I agree. And we've been using that. In fact, as we look at our bottom performers, we've kind of get some of them, we've given them one last chance. Look, we haven't done anything together. Will you sit down and do a term sheet with us? And when, when they say no, it's like, okay, we're done. <laughs> when they Precisely. say yes, then we cautiously proceed, you know, and we, we give it one last shot. But it's, it's interesting. I was talking to Taylor McDonald, um, you know, my latest podcast, and that's one of the things that he prescribes is every year cutting out that bottom 10, 20%. So he's always bringing in new partners and always flushing out the ones that are just the non-performers. Uh, I think it's super important because, again, you're the as as the organization, the investment that you're making back into that partner community for sales training, for technical training, you know, all of the the spiffs or rewards that you're offering, the market development or co-op marketing funds, you know, it's a significant investment for an organization to make sure that they're they're taking care of their channel. So we need to see a little bit of that in return. That little give get that we always talk about yeah. has to go both ways. Yeah. Even though your channel may be on a hundred percent commission model, it's still no I don't think anyone on the channel has too many resources. You know, we're all short on resources for enablement. So you can't waste them on partners that aren't the right fit or who aren't going to perform. Uh, I agree a hundred percent completely. Any other things that you've learned and that have helped you find the right partners? Well, I think, you know, we, we talk about kind of that ideal customer profile and we want to basically look for, all right, if I've got my target customer, I've got my target market, I'm going to start looking for other people that sell into that market. So this is where, when you start looking at your customers, if you've acquired them directly to understand who they are working with, who they buy, you know, services or hardware, software, or whatever you're offering from. But I think that's part of the the research that we need to do into those companies before we approach them to see if they want to join the program or if they've approached us. Let's go and do the research. You know, who are their customers? A lot of people, most people display the logos of their clients on their website. So if they're in alignment, you know, we come back to that alignment that we talk about when it comes to the market, then those are the ideal partners that you want to increase. So look for the people that you want to do business with from an end user perspective, then go back and look at all the other companies that are in that, uh, that space, who are they working with? And now 
I know the partners that I want to go after. Uh, at least have that initial conversation to see if they're a good fit and they fill out, manage the rest of uh, score well on my scorecard. Right, um, right. And then from there, that's when we can start bringing them into the enablement process and dedicating our resources to make them successful. So you were touching on two things. One is asking your customers who they buy from or who they work with, right? That was number mm-hmm. one. And the number two was looking at um, partners, potential partners' websites and see who are their logos and are those, exactly. are those accounts we want to get into. Precisely. And, you know, we use LinkedIn at Magentrix extensively. So when we establish connections with, uh, with people that we're looking to do business with, we'll also look at who they're connected to. How, how has this expanded the network? And are they a fit for Magentrix? So while we internally haven't developed a, our channel strategy yet, where we are purely focused on, on a direct model right now, we're starting to build the channel strategy on how our go-to-market will be. But until we have the, the resources and the focus to make sure that we manage that channel, um, it's not something that we're going to kick off right away. No, you know, you know well enough, you don't want a failed channel. So don't embark on it until you got it, got it exactly. covered. And it's the business we're in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Are there any other pitfalls that you're seeing in, in not naming names, but you know, as you, as you work, you work with a lot of companies that are trying to build a channel, right? We, we really do. So here's the pitfalls that I see. Handshake agreements, right? Verbal handshake agreements. Hey, okay, today you're a partner. Uh, one-sided, right? Where it is you doing all of the work, you know, you sending leads to the partner and there's no give and get. So, you know, those two things that I see, or, you know, you get the partner that just becomes unresponsive. You know, it may happen from time to time, but if you get those unresponsive partners, again, I think it's time to clean out the closet. But I think those pitfalls that you got to watch for is make sure that I love the term sheet. I really do. I think it's fantastic. And I'm actually going to start recommending that to people more there you uh, go. as well as kind of directing them to partnernomics because uh, I think that's some great training and education they can get. But let's stay away from the, you know, the handshake or verbal agreement that you can immediately become a channel partner because I think it's a recipe for failure. And as soon as you see that, look, this is a, a one-sided relationship, I think that, you know, those that's another pitfall that we have to watch out for. So let's set the expectations early. Let's make sure that we identify exactly the type of people that we want to have in our program, go after those people, and not just, you know, anyone under the sun that wants to, to uh, have a partnership. And, I, you know, there's some large companies that basically allow anyone to sell their product. You know, I think in this afternoon, within an hour, I could probably sign up for 50 channel programs and be considered a partner. Yeah. <laughs> but would I really be? And the answer is no. Right. So I think the approach that you're taking, that strategic approach term sheet, I think is fantastic. And I, I think that that's really critical to, to setting yourself up for success. You know, getting back to that Accenture article, you know, 7%, only 7% of channel partners hit 65% of their sales targets. And I don't know how you run a business when, you know, your channel is so diluted that they're not performing. So I, I think it's really critical that, that we start really being more selective when it comes to our, our, the relationships that we have with channel partner and who can be part of our program and who can't. Yeah, that's got to be a really low return on investment in your channel investment if, if only 7% are, are really hitting their targets. 
that goes back to the channel strategy as well, where you need to have established and know what that ROI is. At the same time, you need to be able to understand what's the ROI for the channel partner. Share that with them. You know, what can they expect? The almighty dollar will always decide what companies will, will carry what products. And a lot of them, that is an unknown when they're coming to, to partner with an organization or you've approached them to partner with you. So if you understand the ROI and you understand the potential ROI for a channel partner, then I think, again, we're starting to get into a good alignment and we have that opportunity where we can have successful outcomes in the future. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies, us included, we build ROI calculators for our prospects, customers. Why don't we do it for the channel? So, and we should be. We should we be. Should be you yeah. know, because we expect an investment from our channel partners in product, technology, or service offering. Yeah. You know, we, they've got to have some skin in the game. They've got to be able to bring resources to the table to meet us halfway. It's the give-get. So this is where you know if they understand the potential ROI and it is as well-documented as you would provide an end user on what they will what they will potentially realize, then again, these are just all checking all the boxes on how we can set ourselves up for success when we're starting to build out our channel or managing the existing channel we have. Yeah. And that's going to set expectations too. Because if your calculator that you're showing to the, to the partner says, hey, look, you're going to make your money in software, not in services or vice versa, or it's a, it's a good blend of both. That's setting expectations too. And will help you, I think, recruit the right partners that are, that are going after what you're going after. And if they're an organization that is entirely focused on as a service organization, then it may immediately determine that they're just not a fit. Maybe they're not interested in making margin on reselling or pushing boxes out the door. They just want to be able to offer services. And with more and more of us moving to the cloud and offering subscription-based offerings, now this is going to change the model a little bit where there may be less services and more kind of uh, ongoing revenue share. So building and sharing that ROI back to the channel partners at what they could potentially realize when they you know, make the investment into your, uh, into your organization. Again, this is just all setting, setting us up for success and not falling into that, that you know, 7%. What do you think about partner program fees and, and using those a little bit as a qualifier you know, for gauging a partner's commitment? I think it, again, depends on your industry, what the goals, you know, what's in baked into that channel strategy. I think that, you know, you'll find out really quickly if they're, they're putting skin in the game, if there is a fee to join the program. But I also think they should be rewarded for performance. So in the event that they hit all of those numbers or you have a threshold on when they have their fees refunded or waived for the following year, I think that shows that you're prepared to invest in the partner as well. So um, I think that, and I think it depends on the maturity of your company. If you're a startup, you know, you're going to market and you're trying to charge people $1,000 to join the, the channel program, I don't think you're going to have a lot of success. <laughs> but if you're a Microsoft and you want to say, look, you want to be a certified partner, you want to be a silver or a gold partner, then we're going to give you some things in return, but it's going to cost you some money to get to join the program. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Good. Well, Paul, this has been really fun, a good conversation. And, and I love having these conversations because it helps me test things that I'm trying out too. So <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Rob. I love doing these podcasts with you. So a pleasure again today.
So one last question for you. What is the, the number one thing you want to do once, once this COVID thing settles down? And from a vacation perspective, is there something that you've got your sights on that you want to go do? I'm already looking for flights to Costa Rica. Oh, that's uh, right. And they have uh, actually canceled all flights from Toronto to Liberia and are only running temporary flights to San Jose. So I have enough miles that I could probably fly uh, there and back in first class a couple times. So the second the travel ban is lifted, I'll already be on the, on my way. Do you have a place down there or just areas that you love to go to? Just areas that I love to go to. So, but uh, it's usually in the uh, Pacific side in the, in the Northwest in Guanacaste. It's a little less humid. It's a little bit warmer, but it, it is such a, a it's paradise. It's such a beautiful country. So I've missed it. I have obviously not been able to travel now for uh, close to a year and a half, almost a year and three months since they closed the border. So that is definitely what I'm looking forward to the second this is over. And you surf down there? No, I just, uh, I take a lot of pictures. I'm, and I, I just love the culture. I love the, the scenery. It's really kind of heaven on earth for me, at least. So I love to go down there with the camera and take uh, take some great shots, but uh, but not a big surfer. So might have to try that out sometime. Yeah, because I, I have surfing friends who love going down there, and they they uh, they speak very highly of it. But there are a lot of like wild birds and monkeys and things like that, right? It's very a lot of nature. Everything under the sun. They have, I think they have more. They have like seven or eight different microclimates there. So you can be in the Central Valley and it'll be 70 degrees or you can be on the coast and it'll be, you know, 105 degrees. So yeah. you can you can pick your poison when it comes to where you want to be. And the wildlife is tremendously diverse. So whether it's sloths or monkeys or, you know, a wide variety of, of birds or other reptiles, it uh, really is quite uh, quite spectacular to see. Well, I hope the dust settles and that you are back on the beach in Costa Rica soon. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again, Paul. Talk to you soon. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thanks. All right, guys. Another fun interview with Paul. It is always great talking with him. And, and Paul's full of so much channel experience that he loves to share. Paul, thanks again for being on the show a second time. As always, you can find highlights of today's show on my website at channeljourneys.com forward slash CJ71. While you're there, be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's show, please, I really appreciate it if you could add a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I promised a special offer on Magentrix. Check out Magentrix at magentrix.com. Reach out to Paul on LinkedIn. Check them out. Try them out. And if you decide to go with Magentrix, you can get two months free on an annual contract by using the discount code SPEEPOD21 when you sign up. That is a fantastic offer. And I have a fantastic episode. The next one's going to be a really good one. We are exploring how to build a really creative and effective partner referral program. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are too. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.